No country has ever prospered that failed to put its own interests first. We will no longer surrender this country or its people to the false song of globalism. New Right Network presents Right Now, the featured podcast of New Right Network. Mobilizing, countering the left, energizing the right. New Right Network, home of the New Right Movement. Mary Magdalene, New Right Network, the fresh face of new media. This is Right Now podcast. I'm interviewing Cash Jackson. Cash Jackson is a retired Navy veteran. A 2018 Illinois Libertarian Governor candidate and a political analyst. Hey, Cash, how you doing? Good morning. How are you? I am great. You look great today, sir. Thank you very much. I cleaned up just for you. Tell me something. You have told me a few things about your personal experience uh, regarding your daughter. Can you fill my listeners in on what's going on? Your son and your daughter. Well, uh, correct. Right. So I'm divorced. I'm twice divorced. Uh, You know, 20 years in the military is not easy uh, on families. And um, so I was married twice. I have an older son that uh, he's 18, graduated high school. As I was saying that, you know, I'm twice divorced. I have an 18 year old from my first marriage. He and I have you know, an open rapport and dialogue, and he's headed off to college and, or uh, trade school rather. And, um, but when I was divorced in Illinois in 2015, uh, I have two younger children from that marriage. And uh, one's 13 and one's 11, son and a daughter. Um, and uh, very early on, I, uh, you know, encountered what many parents encounter, uh, predominantly fathers, but oftentimes mothers as well. And that is just the sheer uh, destruction of family court and, and what it does to you. And so what do I mean by that? Well, I mean, you go into an area where you're already in a very heightened emotional state. Divorce is probably the worst thing that any person can go through because it's the end of a relationship and it's, it's just extremely difficult on, uh, on the parties involved. Um, and, that, that emotion becomes heightened because of how the uh, system is designed. It's an adversarial system that pits one parent against the other with the prize being the children. And so you kind of enter into this, um, you know, the, this battle of the sexes in fighting for really just not to be pushed out of your children's lives. And unfortunately for fathers, we've been on the losing end for decades inside these court systems. Uh, it can be argued that a lot of that is still um, the remnants of the tender years doctrine, which is what held that in the early years or the tender years of a child that they were better spent with the mother. And it's also reminiscent of a society in which men were predominantly breadwinners and uh, women were predominantly caretakers. And a lot of our older judges still maintain that same mentality. And it's, you know, it, it doesn't really matter what they have the capability of doing, i.e. awarding, say, 50-50 equal shared custody, uh, oftentimes they just default to the every other weekend um, visitor status. And 
what we have discovered uh, in what we refer to as the family law reform movement is that there's actually uh, federal incentives that states receive whenever they collect child support. So there's really a financial incentive that creates a conflict of interest, in my opinion, between wow. the court system and the states and, you know, in the relationships of uh, parents with their children. I mean, the sole purpose of government is to protect the rights of the individual. And right. absent a finding of unfitness by the state, and that is uh, um, by clear and convincing, a clear and convincing standard, which is a fairly high evidentiary standard, um, they should not be impeding upon that relationship. They should be uh, safeguarding the constitutional rights of both parents. Both parents have a right, a God-given natural right to raise their children unimpeded by the state. And again, the state has the burden of uh, finding a parent unfit, but in these family law courts, they don't do that. Um, that's a standard that's predominantly held whenever a family encounters child protective services and the state is looking to terminate, um, uh, you know, the, the parental relationship uh, to legally terminate that. That's when that evidentiary standard comes into play. But if you're just a parent, a father, a mother in there, and you're just fighting to be in your kids' lives and not be pushed out, that evidentiary standard does not exist for you. It, it does not apply. Uh, false allegations run rampant. They're encouraged by attorneys. Um, it's just the entire system. If you've ever wanted to see the Constitution trampled, go sit inside family law court for one day, and you will witness some of the most disturbing acts of tyranny that you've ever seen in this nation. My goodness. So, uh, back to the tender, uh, the tender years. They don't believe that it's just as important for a father to be in his children's lives at that age. They just, well, it's just, it's outdated social science that, uh, you know, that, that many of these older judges still kind of fall back on. Hmm. But again, I, I don't think that that's the predominant driver. I believe that the predominant driver uh, is a couple of things. I believe number one, it's the federal incentives that states receive. As a matter of fact, when we were testifying in front of the, um, I believe it was in front of the Restorative Justice Committee in uh, the state of Illinois, and we were pushing 50-50 legislation, which is merely a rebuttable presumption that would say moms and dads are presumed equal in the eyes of the court when you walk in. That's a starting point, not the ending point, but the largest opponents to that are uh, two entities. Number one, the bar associations are uh, very heavily weighted against that, and they are extremely powerful um, with the amount of money that they put into uh, political campaigns. They're, a, they're an extremely powerful entity, as well as the domestic violence industry, and that's exactly what it is. It's an, it's an industry propagated on the falsehoods that men are predominantly abusers and women are predominantly victims, and those two entities... Um, uh, combined make a, uh, a force to be reckoned with that for just parents out there that are just fighting to be in their kids' lives and push legislation against them, it's nearly impossible. And what we found 
the lobbyist for the Illinois Bar Association that was present and testifying on behalf of the Bar Association testified in committee that the state stood to lose millions of dollars in federal subsidies if they in fact changed the legislation to a rebuttable presumption of 50-50. Wow. He clearly stated it on the record. Wow. You mentioned, though, you mentioned federal incentives. Can you go into specifics on that? What is that all about? What do they give them? Why do they do it? Really? So uh, it derives out of what's known as Title IV D or E of the Social Security Act. Uh, now, um, I don't recall specifically where that funding generates from. It does not. It's kind of a misnomer because the federal funding does not come out of Social Security funding, which is something that was kind of believed in uh, early on, um, uh, simply because of the name of it, you know, Title IV D of the Social Security Act. Uh, many parents believe that the funding was coming from out of Social Security, and that's uh, not in fact true. Um, and, um, but it, it kind of works like this. It, it's fairly simple. So in order for child support to be awarded, you have to set up the scenario where it's needed. Well, so what, what would a scenario look like? Well, if I had equal custody and I'm doing half the work, you know what I mean? I'm picking kids up from school. I'm taking them to doctor's appointments. I'm providing half the expenses. And it, it just kind of stands to reason that if you have them half the time, you're paying for half the expenses. Right. Um, and the shared cost should be education, should be medical, uh, things to that effect. And, but if it's a 50-50 scenario, there's not much need then for the child support. Uh, and, and if there is, it would be on a limited case-by-case -case basis, but it wouldn't be a national norm. Um, but that's not, that's not the situation. We have over 20 million children in this nation growing up absent their biological fathers. And when the states began uh, receiving federal subsidies, when they collect child support, when they establish paternity, when they have an efficient collection process that increases the federal subsidies that they receive. Um, hundreds of millions of dollars are paid out every single year to, to the states for this. So the judge has to set the scenario. He has to say, okay, dad, and this is, a, this is the, kind of the national norm, dad, you're gonna get every other weekend and a few hours on Wednesdays. In essence, you have now became a visitor to your children. Yeah. Now, so now because you only have the children 20% or less of the year, um, that's what justifies the judge saying, okay, dad um, or mom, you don't have the kids as much, you know, the custodial parent does, so we're going to need you to pay child support. And on the surface, it sounds plausible and reasonable of, okay, yeah, I need to pay my fair share because the kids are with, you know, mom half, you know, more more of the time. Um, but what they don't tell you is that when they begin that collection process and they report that back to the federal government through the Office of Child Support Enforcement, they receive federal funding. Well, guess where, I'll just uh, specifically for Illinois, that money goes into the general fund. Well, then who gets, who gets uh, paid from the general fund? Whose retirement and pension and health benefits come out of the general fund? Mm -hmm. The judiciary. So there's a, to, in my opinion, it's a very simple direct conflict of interest where those monies are coming from. Yeah. And 
Yeah, you, it's just a very disturbing scenario that they're using our children in such a fashion. It is. It is. And you told me a specific uh, experience that you had with a judge. And uh, you called him out and he became active in your case. Can you, can you uh, tell us all about that? What happened? Well, so, I mean, it's a very lengthy story, but in essence, once I, once I began seeing what was transpiring and, and what had already happened to me, and as I began kind of putting the pieces together, of course, I became uh, outraged. Um, I was a 19-year active duty service member or 18-year active duty service member, had held a top secret clearance, had been a reserve sheriff's deputy. Um, for several years there in Lake County where this case unfolded. But as soon as I saw it and I spoke out against what was happening, um, I began getting hit with reprisals from the judge. And for instance, uh, there was a picture of me that circulated on the internet. Uh, it was shared by a kind of famous social media um, comedian. And, um, and it was merely a picture of me holding a, a piece of poster board and on it, I had written, um, I've paid over $20,000 in attorney fees. I pay over a thousand a month in child support. I'm dead broke, not dead beat. And the judge used that to um, put an order of protection in place, put me on supervised visitation, make me pay to see my children for one hour on Saturdays in a supervised setting where I wasn't permitted to approach or hug my children wasn't permitted to take photos of my children, wasn't permitted to bring gifts to my children. And this is in my last about six months of the Navy, mind you. So for expressing my freedom of speech, and I clarified this with him whenever he did it, I said, you mean to tell me that because I expressed my First Amendment right that I fought for for nearly 20 years now, that you're going to punish me and make me pay to see my kids. And the judge laughed in my face and he said, yeah, that's exactly what I'm gonna do. And he did, and he did with impunity. Oh, wow. Um, and, and that was really what, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. I mean, I had already dealt with enough as it was, but this is what really did it. And um, I mean, I really, I had an emotional breakdown from it. I, I couldn't believe it. Uh, my 20 year Navy retirement, my children weren't present for, um, they were right down the road. And, and again, I mean, I had to, I had to go into a supervised setting and it's extremely embarrassing and yeah. uh, people aren't aware that again, the standard of evidence is so grotesquely low. It's only at a preponderance, um, just a preponderance, which is just a little above 50% that, yeah, it could have happened. But no concrete evidence is needed for or these orders of protection. It's what we call the silver bullet. And it's a, it's a practice that these unscrupulous attorneys will utilize to give their client the upper hand. And I'm fairly certain, I've never tracked it, but I'm fairly certain that the states are receiving federal funding out of that as well. Wow. And you have told me also that one of the chief, we, we always talk about the 22 veterans a day and how 22 veterans a day, uh, sadly enough, they take their own lives. And uh, right. you have told me that 
problems such as this, tragedies, sorry, I'm not just going to call it a problem, tragedies and travesties like this are partly to blame for that, or at least most, mostly to blame for that? Tell me about that. Oh, it, it's playing a huge toll. It's a tremendous influence that I don't think people realize. Um, happened upon, back in 2015 or 16, I had happened upon a survey that was conducted um, from the Veterans Administration in cooperation with the Office of Child Support Enforcement. And it's what's known as the Challenge Survey, C-H-A-L-E-N-G, Challenge Survey. And in that report, it's a, um, it was a three-year study that was conducted where they surveyed 14,000 homeless veterans. And overwhelmingly, these veterans stated that um, many of their, their unmet needs revolved around all of the outlying issues that develop as a result of having gone through family court. Um, and this is kind of really where I began ramping up my activism is when I uncovered this because I stood the very real possibility of retiring after 20 years of military service and then going to jail, having my driver's license suspended, getting a record, not being able to gain gainful employment, um, and, and being homeless and then living in a cycle of incarceration and homelessness and oftentimes, unfortunately, once that snowball takes, takes effect and it begins growing larger and larger, oftentimes these veterans who are already, they may be struggling with some mental or, or emotional issues from stemming from military service, now is exacerbated inside these courts where they believe going in, hey, I've served my country, I'm a good person, I, I haven't committed any crimes, and they believe that they're going to be treated with some sort of fairness and openness um, and non-bias. But that is not the case. That is absolutely not the case. And if they speak out the way that I did, they find very quickly that they will suffer reprisals as well. And oftentimes it's, it's financial, it's um, you know, taking your children away from you, um, it's incarcerating you using the contempt powers of the court, uh, it's gagging you so that you can't speak out. Uh, you would not believe the amount of, of sheer power and authority that they wield over you with very little oversight and very little accountability. And Thomas Jefferson had noted on this many times that an unchecked judiciary would be extremely problematic uh, for our nation. And that is exactly what has unfolded and has been, been present for many, many years now. Wow. Wow. So, um, here's one burning question. Uh, how do we help? Well, what do we do? What are we, sh what should we do? Well, it, it's number one, it's connecting with organizations and groups that are already working towards, um, reforming this because they haven't an, an inside track, if you will, to the issues and, and the solutions that need to be implemented. Um, and so you have organizations like the Father's Rights Movement. Uh, they're a nonprofit, 501c3. They're somebody that I went to early on. In fact, I'm speaking at their national convention in Las Vegas in August. Um, um, and I was scheduled to speak uh, up in D.C. with uh, Americans for Equal Shared Parenting. That's ran by Mark Ludwig, another great guy, another father that's been through the ringer. He's uh, there in Missouri. 
And um, both of those organizations are really the most, the two most prominent ones um, that are that are pushing to work legislation and develop awareness. Uh, and that's really the biggest thing is that most of America is oblivious to what's happening in their local courthouses right down the road from them. And they don't realize, you know, young men, young women, even middle-aged, they don't realize uh, walking into these courts, how it is structured, how it's, how it's built. Um, we can look to, and I hate to say this, um, but when we look at some European models, 50-50 is the norm. Child support is a, um, you know, they have a national average, I think, in, in Denmark. It's, and it's a nominal amount. And it's based upon what, what they have found nationally to be the cost for rearing children. It's not, it's not where you have, like, Kevin Garnett, who's ordered to pay $100,000 a month in child support and alimony. That's absolutely oh ludicrous. It, it doesn't cost that to raise a child. A child, um, despite anybody's argument, a child has no right to, um, you know, to live a lifestyle that they had been living before. There's not a right to that. What they have a right to is to be loved and raised by both of their parents. The child has a constitutional right for that. It is not, it is not the judge's decision or society's decision on how much money we spend on our kids, because that's a very slippery slope. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, uh, it's not equal protection under the law, number one, because if you require Kevin Garnett to pay that um, and provide that type of lifestyle, well, then we have children living well below that that don't live that kind of lifestyle. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so it's up for us to determine the kind of money that we spend on our children. And the Supreme Court has found... Um, many times over, uh, and it really just goes without saying, that, that parents know what's in the best interest of their kids, period. We're going to raise them differently. Uh, culturally, we're different. Um, you know, we have different religious belief systems, the wide variety of so many differences. That's why it should be the parents making those decisions and not the judges. And so we need to educate more people in our society Number one, how dangerous these courts are, how destructive they are. And two, we have to get to where we have some accountability for the judiciary. I mean, they have, you know, of course, flooded um, every branch of government with attorneys and they've written laws that benefit and protect their industry. Right. Uh, if you want to complain about a bad judge, um, oftentimes those complaints, they're not transparent. The investigative methods and tools utilized to determine, uh, the complaints that you've made in their accuracy. Um, you don't have any insight into that. It's all behind closed doors and it's within their own industry. It's, it's essentially, um, you know, the, the fox guarding the hen house is really what it amounts to. And that needs to change. All of government should be held accountable to the people. That's the truth. Okay, Cash, I'm going to give you the last few minutes of this interview. Uh, what I want is for you to just speak from your heart and also tell us some links to go to, some way to get a hold of you to figure out what uh, we can do to help you. You know, all of that. Go ahead and just talk from straight from the heart. Okay. 
Uh, I just wanted to take for a second and, and, and just pull out. Uh, these are pictures of my son and my daughter, um, Caden and Kaylee. And I haven't, aside from one 60-second uh, short transaction outside of my son's football game, or interaction rather, um, for the last 18 months, I've had no contact with my daughter. No phone calls, no visits, no nothing. Uh, for my son, it's been um, almost eight months now. And this is the United States. I mean, this is a country that I served for 20 years of my life. And individuals just like me believe that in a free society that our rights are going to be protected. The rights of our children are going to be protected. And if they will do this to me, somebody who's, I've never been charged with any crime. I've had allegations made against me that were unfounded. Um, but if they'll do that to me, and I'm not saying I'm above any other person, but the, but the stereotype is you're a clean cut, white male, military service. They're not going to do you wrong in, in court. You know, the government's not going to do you wrong. Yes, they will. They will do it to any person. And oftentimes you don't know. You don't know what has transpired behind closed doors between these attorneys and these judges and the deals that they work out. You're completely oblivious to it. And it's destroying our nation. Our cultural fabric is being ripped apart at the seams because we have 20 million children growing up absent their biological father. And every study indicates that children are far more likely to experience dropping out of high school, homelessness, living on welfare, uh, getting pregnant as a teenager, having an abortion, abusing drugs, joining a gang, committing violent crime, and ultimately becoming uh, a statistic in one or more groups. Right. And that's what we need to understand, that this is a national systemic problem. And when you've got 20 million kids growing up confused, feeling unloved, unwanted, and not understanding why they don't have that connection to their other half, to their father or their mother, when they don't have that, it's destroying them internally. And we've tried to, we've tried to cover that by medicating them. And it's met with disastrous results. Mm -hmm. If you look at a lot of the, the, you know, the mass shooters, um, you know, the high school shootings and things to that effect, there's a very common denominator and that's growing up in a fatherless home. Yeah. Yeah, well, this has been the Right Now podcast, and I am Mary Magdalene. I was speaking to Cash Jackson. Um, uh, we're going to do a series called Defending Fatherhood. Cash, how do people get a hold of you? How do people get in touch with you? On Twitter? Uh, well, I've got a public page on Facebook, so you can get me on Twitter at uh, Cash Jackson 2018. Uh, you can also get me on Facebook at Cash Jackson. That's Cash with a K. And uh, I'm on Instagram as well. So if you just want to see photos uh, of me and my family and kind of, you know, uh, what my life looks like behind the scenes, you can see that mm -hmm. there. And, um, yeah, I, I look forward to, to hearing from any person out there that, that's had uh, issues with this and would love for you guys to come to the, the convention, the Father's Rights Movement Convention in Las Vegas in August. This is Mary Magdalene. Follow me at Miss Mary Cafefe. Follow New Right Network at New Right Network. Look us up, newrightnetwork.com. 
You've been listening to New Right Network, mobilizing, countering, energizing. Online at newrightnetwork.com.